Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to guests about their favorite albums. Today we're talking with Steve Shell of the podcast Old Gods of Appalachia. We talked about Strike Anywhere's debut 2001 album, Changes a Sound. We also talked about how the band influenced Steve on a social and political level and also a shift from playing in hardcore bands to creating an award-winning horror podcast. I've known Steve for a long time and have shared lineups and have spent many hours in the van with him on a tour with his old band, Just Die, and it's been a joy watching him grow as a writer and such an honor to see the well-earned success of Old Gods. If you're somehow not aware of his podcast or you're into horror or honestly just simply good content, then do yourself a favor and check it out. I'm so excited to see where the show goes with the new season and beyond. Don't forget to check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. My co-host Sarah and I, we listen to records we liked a lot when we were younger and revisit them as much older and jaded individuals. You can subscribe for as little as $1 a month or more and you'll get an exclusive episode every week. So please don't miss out. Please subscribe. Lastly, follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at SpinningOutPod. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave a comment, and reviews definitely help. Okay, let's chat with my good buddy, Steve. Hey, Steve, how's it going? Hey, it's going all right, man. How you doing? Uh, pretty good. Just, you know, I feel like every episode I'm like, oh, I just got done working. I'm like, what else would I be doing? So, yeah, you know. that's life. <laughs> that's life. Uh, but today we're talking about Strike Anywhere's debut album, Changes the Sound, that came out in 2001, August 14th. And it was produced by Brian McTiernan. It came out on J-Tree. And what I'll ask is when was the first time you heard this band or this album? I heard Strike Anywhere, um, I think Chorus of One. Was that an EP or was that a 7-inch? Because that was before Changes of Sound. I heard a track yeah. off of that on a burn CD that somebody had, uh, I think maybe even like playing on a PAO before a show started or something like at a, a show in uh, maybe in Kentucky. And it was just like, it was one of those things. I, was, I had just moved to North Carolina, so it was like around 2000, 2001. And uh, a kid on whatever social media we were on, uh, J.D. Collette, if you never knew J.D., who lived out of Asheville for a long time, uh, and he was out from the Tri-Cities up in Tennessee originally, he was just raving about me to get to interview them, I think like at Mac Rock or something. So mm-hmm. I went and checked out, and I hit, I hit, I heard something off Chorus of One, and that, that, that was fine. But man, the first time I... I heard you're fired, just the opening track on, on yeah. this record, you know? Uh, and, um, yeah, God, uh, cause it asked a question. I thought about this. I tried not to over-prepare thinking about this record, but that song asked the question, um, you know, uh, when was the first time, you know, that they, they stuck your heart with fear. And, and was it worth it? Like, this was a band that was asking me, like, well, they weren't telling me, like, we're going to do, we're going to, you know, brotherhood. You know, it wasn't like a lot of this. It was this band that was asking about me mm-hmm. and, like, like why, you know, how do you fit? Where Where is this for you? And that made, and just that, maybe as an English teacher, that hit me weird. But that was, like, that was just, like, I I love this band. And, like, the first two albums are without very if there's a flaw they're minuscule and i can and you have to nitpick them after the third after the first two albums 
it's what it is. But uh, yeah. but changes the sound is that that just yeah you're fired. Our labor yeah so it's just so good it's so good yeah. Yeah, and had you listened to like Inquisition before that, or I had not. I went back, and it was one of those cases of like, oh, I want to get into their older stuff, but like nothing it wasn't strike anywhere. Yeah, you know, it just yeah. I mean, like... it kind of yeah, it kind of goes in that orbit, but it, it never really clicked in the same way for me either. Yeah, well, which but... kind of explains why strike anywhere exists. You know, it's just yeah. kind of like once a band has played its part for somebody, they they find a way to do what they want to do in something else. Yeah, yeah. Like even uh, Strike Anywhere, the name is from an Inquisition song. Uh, oh, that's right. I totally yeah. forgot that. Yeah. Oh, whoa, yeah. That's the, I think that's the only trivia I have for this yeah. one. That I'll, I'll it, does there, I forget, does Strike Anywhere have an exclamation point? Uh, I don't believe so. Uh, okay. But yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Like when I heard it, I feel like it was like, political but in a way that's you know personal i know that's simple but it's like i yeah there's a lot of like in hardcore or punk music there's like we're gonna like do this to reagan or something but it's like kind of speaks to you directly like at home and i i i don't feel like at that point i had really picked up on a lot of other bands that were doing that you know like in that way i it's also interesting to think about like when this came out August yeah. 14th, oh. 2001. Oh, yeah. Like your post, you're like, wait, are you, are you Bush yet? Are we? Yeah. No, we're in the, we're in the early days of the Bush administration. Yeah. 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 Oh, God. Yeah. 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 And then, and then, you know, the whole album, I want to jump to it, but the whole album has refusal on it, mm. which was, that was, was that on one of the Tony Hawks? Um, I know that, the, yeah, they did have tracks on Tony Hawk, Pro Skater, I think Underground. And okay. I, I think a lot of those, I'm not saying this, none of this was, but I, but I know some of the later albums definitely were on like Tony Hawk. Yeah, yeah, based yeah. Based on the time. Well, refusal, uh, refusal is just like one of those songs that everybody knows. Like when you know, when you know one song from a band, I feel like Strike Anywhere. It's either Refusal, um, or Chalkline. I feel yeah. like those are the two songs that everybody knows from Strike. And they were just here the other night. They were in Asheville with a veil, and I didn't go see them. Yeah, uh, because I had gone to see the Mountain Goats as I wear my Heretic Pride sweatshirt for the 18th time, and those were my COVID dollars I was willing to spend uh, in terms of going out in a crowd. Uh, and then I heard it wasn't as packed as people thought it would be for yeah. Avail and Strike Anywhere and Soul Glow at the uh, at the Gray Eagle. I wonder uh, if, like, thinking about that show, if kind of anybody that would have gone to that show in Asheville if that type of person traveled, you know, to Furnace Fest. It's very possible. I actually totally forgot about Furnace Fest until the videos started hitting on Monday. And I saw a Norman Jean video come on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. And uh, them doing Memphis will be laid to waste. Is that a Norman Jean song or a Chariot song? Uh, or is that Maylene? I can't. I don't know. They said they were doing that. Yeah. Yeah, that whole Southern, you know. Orbert. Yeah. But they yeah, hit, yeah. man, they, they sounded, I, I didn't really like, never like that band, but they sounded just like they did in 2001. Uh, yeah. They were all older and chunkier like all of us, but like yeah. they uh, they laid it down. I watched Thrice's, I watched a big a video, somebody showed a video of Thrice's uh, doing the illusion of safety from beginning to end. That was really oh, good. wow. Yeah. But then again, I mean, we also have to concede, and nobody like, and nobody, nobody wants me to talk about hardcore anymore because I, I'm not plugged into it at all. Um, but like my favorite band, maybe the mountain goats are probably my favorite band of all time, but my favorite hardcore band was boy sets fire mm -hmm. mid pandemic. 
they played the auditorium in Asheville, or the odd now I guess it's called. They had to change their name finally. Yeah. Um, they played to, they had 35 pre-sale and 15 of those showed up. So there's a certain generation of hardcore kids uh, who are of an age to where coming out to shows isn't, it, it has so little appeal to me. Yeah. I want to be honest, just where my anxiety is and just where I have to choose, like, especially with COVID still being a real thing. I have to, I choose, like, I'm like, um, I went to see the Mountain Goats at the Orange Peel, which is the worst sounding venue in Asheville. Um, and I stood in the entranceway, you know, you, you walk into the main room, there's that little cubby, like right where they check you for security. Me and my mm -hmm. friend stood there away from the crowd and watched the Mountain Goats and had a great view. It was a B plus set, was clearly the last show of tour. They were clearly tired. Um, <laughs> The opening band was Pool Kids, who were a lot of fun. If you're not familiar oh, yeah. with them, yeah, yeah, they're really yeah. good. They were, uh, you know, I don't know that I would listen to that regularly, but I usually actively dislike any band that opens for the Mountain Goats. Not because I love the Mountain Goats so much, just like I just think John has terrible taste sometimes. Or we have <laughs> not take that back. I'm working on this in therapy. I think John has different tastes than I do. <laughs> than you do, okay. you know how I used to be. Yeah. I used to be if yeah. I didn't like something, I thought it should be scourged from the earth, you know. But yeah. like, no, he just likes different stuff. It's fine. Um, they were, but they were fun. They could, the guitars on that, and they could, they could, they could freaking go. But yeah, so for like Strike Anywhere and Avail, though, kind of shot their shot with their big comeback. You know, mm -hmm. like a while back, playing that everybody went to, like in Richmond or wherever it was they played, like a few years ago when that was like the big deal. And Avail's fine. I love Avail. Everybody loves Avail. Tony Hawk. You know, again, um, <laughs> let's call this that we were on the Tony Hawk tour. Um, yeah, I, I didn't get to see them. I got to. See Strike Anywhere in Asheville when my band, Just Die, which is how you and I know each other. Yeah. Uh, we had been together about a year, and we we had, we'd played local shows. That was it. But um, Toby from Down by Law, not Down by Law, uh, Toby from, he wished he was in Down by Law, Toby <laughs> from uh, Nights on Fire and all those bands was booking that show and did not know us and didn't think we would draw. So he put Fairground Avenue opening for Strike Anywhere. And somebody, and Off With Their Heads. Okay. Uh, no, wait, no, it wasn't Off With Their Heads. We opened for Off With Their Heads and Against Me. I forget who else it was, but we were, I made it very widely known how pissed off, and I didn't know Toby for anything, but I made it very social media widely known how how pissed off I was. that I, And we were friends with the guys in Strike Anywhere, and Rob kept apologizing in between every third song that they weren't Just Die and that, Steve, that he wasn't Steve Shell. And I wasn't <laughs> there because I, I was like, I'm going to come see him. I'm not watching Fairground open for him. That was an asshole and a child in my early thirties, uh, or late twenties, early thirties. But I did. I saw them then. They were they were they were amazing. They were they were so they were so good. Just they're such, such a fun live band. So you did you did go to the show just after? Oh yeah yeah no I just fucked the openers. <laughs> that should have been me. That was my spot, Mama. I should have been there. Yeah uh, yeah I was just like and, and at the time I was just and it was you, you know Rob and those cats right you know Fairground Avenue yeah so yeah. it's like really pretty like alkaline trio emo. With more Midwest to it, like, what are you guys doing opening for Strike Anywhere? We're the Circle Pit Band from Asheville. There's only room for one. Yeah, it's yeah. Us, you know. Uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Had you seen them any other time? Nah, that one time in Asheville is the only time oh, I've okay. seen them. Yeah, yeah. I was, a, I was, I listened, but um, I was going to Crazy Fest in Louisville, and I introduced a friend of mine to Strike Anywhere on that drive. And he called me months later. He's like, man, he goes, I got this and I got Exit English. He goes, they make me feel like a better person when I listen to them. <laughs> yeah. Like, All right, man. That's uh, he's like, it's like how I first felt when I listened to Fugazi for the first time. And I knew like I'd, I kind of like found my way. And I'm like, All right, that's whatever. And that's kind of true. 
there are lyrics on changes of sound that I don't have tattooed on my body, but I feel bad that I don't. Yeah, yeah. You know, like we throw we throw our hearts against the wall. Come on, that needs to be on my neck. You like, should, just, yeah, get it on your neck. Right get here. it on your head. Yeah, like right here, like just right get there. it like around, yeah, just along the beard line. It's like in big text that fits the beard. So if I ever do have to get a job again, I can just grow the beard in. Except for now, yeah. it's it's white and translucent, and it would like show through it. Uh, yeah, I I'm kind of thinking. I don't know why I'm blanking on the band, but there's like a band that I feel like they were kind of doing somewhat of the same thing, but just kind of see the roads diverged. Uh, they're like really huge now. I really don't know why I'm blanking on it. Uh, Rise against. Yes. Yeah. They, they, I, yeah. They, that's that's why I tried to get Matt Evans, our, our mutual friend Matt Evans from Just Die and Old Flings and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, I tried to get him. Now the band uh, Serrate apparently yeah. is their new band name. I haven't heard them yet, but I expect them to be very good. Uh, I tried to get him in his trains. He's like, man, it just it sounds like Rise Against to me. Yeah. Well, you shut your mouth. <laughs> well, it is interesting to kind of think about how those like roads diverge, and it's like everything that I feel like Rise Against has, like Strike Anywhere should have had, you know, a degree of it, you know? So it's interesting kind of like how people just kind of pick things and, you know, industry kind of picks things and, you know, and I feel, feel yeah. I don't know for sure. And I don't want to gossip monger, but I feel like Strike Anywhere had some lineup changes and just people making different life decisions. And I don't know that for a minute they were dedicated to like, 365 a year band. I could be totally wrong on that, but I feel mm-hmm. like they, one of their, they had two mats and Matt Sherwood ended up living in Asheville for a while. I never knew him, but he had Sherwood's guitars here and he left the band. And I feel like that changed something. And they tried to go more serious after that. Like after Exit English, they started doing stuff that was a little more radio friendly, writing songs that were way too fucking long. And just, you know, like they kind of lost. Dead FM was okay, but like after that, I couldn't tell you a single. Yeah, after Dead FM, they had Iron Front that came out in 2009, and Matt Sherwood left in 2007. He's on Changes of Sound, and then I believe Matt Smith was his replacement. And oh, he so he was in, his replacement. Okay, I thought they I were believe. in the band at the same time. Okay. Um, and then, uh, well, Eric Kane plays in Pygmy Lush, uh, but Matt Smith played in Liars Academy and Census Fail. Uh and so he was the replacement. So I would assume that would have changed things, but I don't know. I'm not really sure. Like, was he still in Census Fail? Did you know? Wow, that's a band that got big. Him? Yeah. So so I'm not sure. Maybe he left that band and went to Strike Anywhere, you know, uh-huh. um, or whatnot. But just kind of think about that trajectory and change. But on Dead FM, they went to Fat Records and yep. Iron Front went to B9. And uh, then they haven't put out an album since 2009. Yeah, they no signed. Word. They signed to two labels that I have no respect for. So it was like I think they kind of lost me a little. I'm that guy. I'm. I've always been that guy. You know, like, but like them going to Fat Records was like that felt really too little, too late. Because it yeah. felt like if they were going to get any benefit out of Fat Rec, it would have been like Prime Warp Tour days. Um, yeah, yeah. They, it feels like they should have went because I was kind of surprised because I thought Exit English was a Fat Rec. Uh, release and it could have been reissued that was jade tree right those are both changes of sound and exit english are both jade tree i discovered here's a timeline for you i was at mac rock working for the little richmond label that put out the record by truth be known my chug chug band back in the early aughts i was working for blood and ink records who were uh, people thought they were a christian label and they kind of were but they also definitely weren't yeah. Uh, uh, and I was just working a table for them and we were like two tables over from Jade Tree. So when dude came and relieved me and I went to got to go wander about, I walked over and I bought Give Blood 
Bain, Exit English, a trial by fire record, which I lost before I got home. Who knows? I could have been a trial by fire super fan if, I'd, <laughs> if I hadn't lost that. And and a sampler, man, like a like a, a free sampler from from Jade Tree, and um, yeah, that, that was and the soundtrack home was all changes the sound and give blood and give blood changed my life too. I'm not a I was a Bane super fan for a minute. I tried to listen to it all comes down to this and the the mix on that is so terrible, just legendarily so bad. But like if you're a Bane fan, you can make it work for you. Uh, I could not. Uh, <laughs> so give blood forward. And then the last Bane record came out and I was like, yeah, it's going to be my anthem for the next year. I listened to it two whole times and never listened to it again. Yeah. It was just kind of like where I was in life. Like, okay, yeah, that's a good, that's an appropriate goodbye to that band and that part of my life in a lot of ways. So, yeah. And I guess I was also, I think about this a lot with like, okay, so since they put out the record in August 14th, 2001, do you recall like any sort of feelings, like people feeling a certain way, like after September 11th happened, like, you know, or were you discovering it after the fact? Um, it was a new release when I was, it was so if it was Mac Rock, it, it would have just come out. Mm-hmm. Like it would have just, that would have been like, that would have been like late July, early August of 2001. Like, when, yeah. like when, so I don't know. Like for me, I mean, um, you know, like I'm, I'm pretty far left as you can. I'm go. not sure how much it would have changed my thought on anything either. I mean, you know, no, but no, it's just, even it's just a like good fucking, a it's just person. a good fucking record. Like for, for me, political bands that are overtly political, I can, I'm for them. I, you know, like my bands had some politics in them. I mean, but I've always been like, just be the political person. And if that's reflected in your art, dope. But if you make your entire personality, you know, being the anarchist kid, eventually you're going to get a job at Hardee's. That's just going to happen. You're going to have to, yeah. eat, you know, you're, gonna, you know, eventually you're going to, you're going to end up working somewhere. Um, not that anarchists can't have jobs, but you know what I'm saying. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. you make your, yeah. like, that's why I couldn't stand born against for a long time was just like, and, but then now in my forties, I'm like, oh wow, that little feud they had was sick of it all. They were totally right. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, but I, I wasn't hearing it because sick of it all was my, my friend's favorite band, so therefore it was kind of my favorite band back in the day. Yeah, I, now they're embarrassing. A, yeah, as a as a kid, I was definitely on the sick of it all camp. But I will say that that I don't even think I knew what Born Against was. So if anyone told me anything about like a feud, but I agree with you. Later on, like when I heard Born Against, I was like, you know, I hate to say it, but <laughs> Born Against oh, yeah, were like, right. Well, yeah. I, I just I just remember like falling in love with Against Me in the early aughts. And 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 uh, and and her singing, you know, for a birthday gift to the Mexican Stratocaster. From this day on, I will play along to all my Young Pioneers records. And that's you know, Born Against went on to be Young Pioneers. I think yeah. is that right? They're the same, some of the same people, right? Some of the same. Uh, Sam McFeeders moved around a decent amount and ended up they're, in Richmond. I, th- at some I think point. they're just kind of like they're like the next chain, next step link in the chain. I'm like, oh man, why do they like those assholes? And then I went and listened. I'm like, oh no, I totally get it now. <laughs> Or I sort of get it, and then like now, and now sick of it all. Or like everybody's libertarian uncles yelling for people to get get off their lawn, claiming they're yeah. revolutionaries from the back of a tour bus. Yeah, members of Born Against, Avail, and Ted Leo and the Pharmacist. Very much so. a Richmond band then, yeah. yeah. So, but that wasn't a Sam McFe- uh, Yeah, it was Adam Nathanson. I always think Sam McFeeders did that, but I think there would be uh, it'd be a little bit more. He was more of annoying of a person than I think you know Young Pioneers would have allowed itself to be uh so so yeah 
I don't know, just like thinking, I guess you kind of answered the question in terms of like, like this record is political, but I think in a way, I wonder if like, if we were kind of ready for the way that it's, what I'm trying to say is I feel like a lot of what they're saying on this record has become more true. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, that's like a strange yeah. thing, you know? Yeah, no, there's just, there's, there's so much on it. I mean, like, um, I just pulled up, I just pulled up the track listing just so I could have the song titles in front of me. But I mean, um, God, like detonation deals with like media exposure and school shootings. Chalk line is a very kind of ham fisted. My sisters, I will stand with you song that kind of feels a little clumsy. Now, uh, refusal is an anthem. Because that's you know I'm not you know officer I'm not resisting you is the scream along chant of an entire generation um, and I oh, don't know wait or is that no refusal is I will um, sorry I mixed it up is it sunset on sunset on thirty seconds so when they broke down the door put the guns in the face of your wife and child that's sunset on thirty second I believe so yeah yeah refusal is I refuse to run and I will that's, die that's before right. yeah. I kneel. Ah. Oh, yeah, that that's that's what I need to have tattooed on my neck right there. It'd be very long. I have to start behind the ear. I refuse to run and I will die before I kneel. That's anyway, but yeah, back just back in on this uh yeah, the, the um oh they also did that punk goes acoustic version of chalk line mm-hmm. that was like that was like big on like MTV two <laughs> Or yeah, like yeah. the Canadian, what was the Canadian one called? Like not Pulse. What was it called? Uh, that was uh, much music for a while, but I'm not sure. Yeah, what it became something. Fu- that's, I remember Fuse? I saw a clip of it. Huh? I think Fuse. Is Fuse. That- that's what it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, yeah but this, this, yeah, and yeah, the, uh, yeah, like the, the 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 political nature of this stuff is like he's talking about stuff, and also Thomas's delivery. If we can get into the musicality of things for mm-hmm. a minute, is just nonstop. He's yeah. just, you know, I'm going to talk to you now all the time through this whole song. There's very few breaks. And when we do, bum, 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 now I'm back and I'm talking again. So it's just like this nonstop. Like, and, I, and I, first of all, I admire that lung capacity because that dude's like as big around as my thigh. <laughs> and like, uh, and two, it was just like, I'm as a guy, you know, I'm the front man. I, I enjoy people that have a lot to say if it's, if it's good and if it's creative. But um, yeah, but this whole, this, this record it's it, the political stuff in it is like, were we ready for it? It made me want to know more things. It made me, this wasn't my first exposure to like the Mamiya story, mm-hmm. which is what, uh, which is what sunset on 32nd is about. Um, because it has that really clumsy line. Uh, the police bombing could kill a movement. Uh, MOV yeah. being, yeah. Uh, yeah. the murder. Every town, where's your freedom when the sun goes down? Yeah. Uh, the, first the backing vocals and the, and the self done harmonies, like, that's the only bummer part of seeing them live is they never pulled. I don't think they ever really pulled that off live because it's all Thomas. It's you can just tell it's, I think I'm pretty sure it's all him. Um, yeah. um, but yeah, but that, that, but that wasn't my first exposure to that case, but it made me want to go learn more of what had happened from happened to it since that time. Mm-hmm. And then stuff like, uh, you know, like, I don't know. There's, there's just like, um, there's just so much imagery. Just the dude's writing is just like if if it's his. Is Thomas the primary lyricist? I can't believe I don't know that. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah okay. I, I've not seen anything that said otherwise. And, okay. Uh, kind of. I feel like there was a lot of the same kind of delivery and 
subject matter and like Inquisition. So I would, you know, and that tracks. I would believe that, tracks. Yeah, uh, yeah, that yeah, it's, yeah. I would be surprised. Or even if there's other people in the band that kind of write something, I feel like it's kind of synthesized through him mm-hmm. in a way that feels unlike uniquely sick of him. it all. Unlike sick of it all, where the drummer writes all the lyrics. And Lou just comes up with the vocal bark or the vocal cadence and yeah. doesn't write any lyrics at all. That's so strange. That's so strange to me. I mean, like he's a great, he's a great front man. So oh, no, totally, I, you know. yeah, totally. Like if you haven't watched the mad ball set from furnace fest this weekend, no, um, I haven't, I can't believe I was ever into that man. But, um, one, because just like dude, secondly, <laughs> uh, just there, a lot of their stuff, like, I don't know. I don't know if it's my taste change and what I like because I liked everything. Like my favorite heavy hardcore band ever, Turmoil, hands down, mm-hmm. without question. Zayo doesn't count because Jesus. So Turmoil, <laughs> uh, and then my favorite West Coast punk band, Bad Religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Social Distortion was in there somewhere, but they're rock and roll. Let's just be honest. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then like, uh, and then like like East Coast. It was sick of it all. Uh, I liked Pennywise when I was a kid. Um, like like OG Warp Tour, like Civ and you know Gorilla Biscuits and stuff like like that, you know, yeah. going to Civ Gorilla Biscuits before Civ and all that. But like that was kind of what got me. But like Strike Anywhere was a blend of those because when they hit hard, like the end of SST, for example, um, mm-hmm. the, is that the is that the last song on the record? Uh, actually, no. It's uh, tra- track eight is SST, and T, then my design. Uh, my is design. The last. My design. That's it. Because it's got the. Oh, yeah. 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 That's that's hard, man. Like that. Mm-hmm. That's that makes me car mosh. Like to this day, that will put me in danger in close traffic. Like I do not need to listen to uh, like that. And Boy Sets Fires rookie will put me in a mood to where I do not need to be behind the wheel of an automobile just because I'm going to be car moshing and probably snot crying a little bit on certain parts, you know, just like you just got to get into that. But my design is so good. Three on a match is good. I'm just looking at the track listing now. Chalk line's what it is. Um, SST, you know what SST stands for, right? Uh, not in this case, I don't. It's, well, they're from Virginia, so it's Six Semper Tyrannus. Which is oh, the motto okay, of okay. Virginia, yeah, and the because the picture of Liberty standing with her foot on the chest of tyranny, and thus always with tyrants, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know what it was. What was SST and SST Records? Well, um, Solid State Tuners. Oh, okay, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> he, I, uh, I, they, yeah, he started a, it as making radios, like that's what I did not. Know he that. was like an electronics guy, and huh. he just kept the same name. Like that was the that was the name of his company when he made like ham radios and stuff like that. And then he was like, SST already got a name. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm, that's, uh, that's, I'm assuming, uh, yeah, let's see. So hang on. That uh, makes more sense with this because you know, like, and I'm like, why would they, I was even looking at it. Like, I know it has to stand for something else, but sometimes with these, like I, other than writing all the information, it's like, you know, I don't know. That's actually something interesting. I, I want to kind of get into because I feel like, my first inclination with listening to music, it takes me a while to kind of like really know what lyrics are about. Uh-huh. And I've talked to a bunch of guests about that. And some people come in and they're just like lyrics first, you know, like Always. music is like a second thing for them. And I was, I was late to like playing any instruments, but I always felt like, and I don't know if it's like, because I came from a lot of metal, but also did come from like pop punk. I'm not really sure. Maybe it's just kind of you're one or the other, like a lyrics person or a music person. And I always felt like I was a music person. It's like melody 
Yeah, it depends. It depends on the band. Let's see. Okay, so this is this gets complicated. You didn't realize what what a what a puddle you stepped into with this one. Okay, I grew yeah, up. Yeah. So I grew up. I grew up in backward masking the Satanic Panic. Uh, my dad was policing everything I listened to. We had tell, we had evangelists coming to our church telling people what lyrics really meant to songs. So for me, I was fixated to find either either stuff my parents couldn't be mad at or to be on the lookout for things that were out to seduce me. You know, like just uh, so for me, it had to be the lyrics first because that's what the preachers would say. Oh, kids just say, oh, I like the beat, I like the melody, and they don't realize they're worshiping Satan. So like for me, it was like, no, I want to know. There have been a million hardcore bands that's just like, dun, 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 dun. I'm like, yeah, I'm into this. And it's just like, fist fuck your mom and your dad yeah. and kill somebody with the head. And it's just like, ah, yeah. Yeah, you know? I always feel like it's like, I I usually will be like, that's not for me if it's like really bad lyrics. But in a sense, like I'll what I'll, what I'll usually do is I'll be like, hey, Sarah, I like this song. And then she'll be like, you know, this song's about a, about divorce. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know, you know, because so it's you were like, listening it's... to the mountain goats, <laughs> <laughs> and like it's like I didn't pick up on that because like usually what my brain picks up on is the hook, mm-hmm. uh, and then I'm like, oh, I like this, you know, I'm basically telling her I like this hook, and she's like, what do you, what message are you trying to send me here? And I'm like, I didn't know what I was signing <laughs> up for, you know, uh, but but yeah, I always kind of with you writing and stuff like that, like I always kind of struck you as like a lyric guy. Always, always. Yeah. That's that's my biggest criteria with uh, whether I can really support a band or get into a band. If you have okay lyrics and they have good intent, I can, and you're a friend, I could be into your band. But like, this is me and Matt and the other guys, like everybody, like, there, uh, there used to be a GIF, an animated GIF somebody made way back in like the early Just Die days of me leaning in, listening, and then shaking my head like, no. <laughs> just like, no, I fucking don't like it. Uh, and, and just for me, it was like I wanted good lyrics that were either clever or or said things that that like that that shook me that or just like made me be like oh like I want to scream that I want that tattooed on my neck. Like I just pulled talking about SST. I pulled it up to see if the lyrics reference that anywhere in it and i didn't realize this was a song there's a guitar lick in it um where's the lyric uh uh is a uh, yeah there's a guitar there's a guitar part where they're going like so there's like this really kind of like layered guitar part and the lyric is where were you when they passed us over for the lotteries of birth and i'm like how do you land that cadence how do you take that line of lyrics and turn it into, you know, uh, complacency, condition to suffer? What's the price? What's it worth to us? So, like, you know, and there he is asking questions again, asking me, what's, what, what is, you know, what is this life? How are you going to live? What kind of person are you going to be? You know, and oh, and this song, this song has, Josh, this song has the, the phrase that epitomize, um, this song is not about relationships. It's not. But, you know, sometimes you pull things out of context. And they mean yeah, that yeah. to you. It's not because I don't love you. It's not because I don't know the time it takes to say goodbye to find a balance of heart and mind. I went through a time in my life when I jumped from person to person, attention to attention, seeking attachment. And I was not a great person. Um, I wasn't a malicious person or a predatory person, but I was a person who thought if he didn't answer every bit of attention thrown at him, he would never have it again. And Decade of therapy has helped with that quite a bit, but it's still an urge that like is like not to be unfaithful or whatever, but just like, 
oh, I need to be that person's best friend because they like me, you know, and that person could be fucking terrible or that person may want things from you you don't want to give them and you have to set boundaries. And that's like a big yeah. thing for me these days, um, just in life. But that that lyric for me, um, you know, and then the next line, explode these traditions, live for what you love, not what they tell you to do. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like... Ooh. What what I hear that as and kind of like what you're saying too is I feel like there was a long time where I would – it's like I look at like a group of people and then I'm like I want to be their friends. But you almost have to ask yourself like do they want to be my friend? You know, and that's like – it was a hard thing for a long time because it was like whatever kind of cool group I was like I, you know, I want to be a part of that. But then there were these other people that clearly wanted to be my friend and, you know, sometimes I felt like I would be like – no, I, you know, I need to fit in here. And yeah. eventually it's like, you got to kind of find your people. And that's not like a mode of like settling. Cause it's just like, there's people that want you. <laughs> there's people that want to spend their time with you. I was going to say like, but, but when you have a damaged sense of self and wounded self-esteem, you start to think like, oh man, if you love me, there's gotta be something wrong with you. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. my, that was my whole thing of when people love me, it was just like, oh, I can treat you however I want to treat you. You're stupid enough to love me. You deserve what you get, you know? And I'm like, fuck, I hurt. You know, I was not a good, I was not a good friend to people. And I was not, I was not a good partner to people more than anything. And that was just, I didn't, and I, I still don't know how to love myself the way I would like to love myself. But like, it's one of those things to where, uh, like again, decade, a decade and a half now of therapy and having an amazing partner uh, and my wife and, you know, and just, and, and the community of friends and, and other partners of other sorts that, that support me and, and love me and, and learning to accept that, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a wild thing. And, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, you see, you, like, you see people like you, you think, like you said, the cool kids. See, when I came up and uh, when Josh and I knew each other, I'll address the audience now. When Josh and I knew each <laughs> other back in the day, uh, he was in a band called obstruction. I was in a band called just die. And again, I'm 10 years older than you. I'm 10 years, I'm 11 years old, years older than those guys. And I was like 30 starting a hardcore band for fun with a bunch of like early 20 year olds who were like trying to make it. And I'm like, yeah. there's no money in this. Like we just do this for, I'll put in a hundred dollars for gas for the tour and we all take it back out. And if we can get a somebody, if we can trick somebody to put that a record for us, that's great. You know? And, uh, and you know, so, but like at the same time, I'm like, Oh, these are my friends now. I just moved to the city for, now I have guy friends, you know, but I'll be straight up with you guys. They were mostly guy friends cause it's hardcore. And there were, there were, there were femme presenting people and they've had people in there as well. But it was like, I was like, oh, I have like, and they're not the toxic dudes I left behind who kind of like were super kind of macho and like, you know, not like homophobic, but also not the, the definitely, they're definitely not queer, you know, like, yeah, 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. um, and I, and then I realized really quickly, I'm like, Oh wait, all of you are, I, everything y'all are going through right now, I look at my wrist like I'm looking at a watch, you know, <laughs> everything you guys are doing right now, I did that 10 years ago and I don't have time or bandwidth for boyfriend, girlfriend drama with who's talking to who, or who went to this party and left these people. I, I, oh my God. Like I can't go to college again. Yeah. You know, so I kind of had to like draw that boundary of like, I got my guys in my band and thank God for Matt Evans. If you've never been in a band with Matt Evans, uh, he has all the charisma any band needs. He doesn't need to be the front man. He's automatically the best looking guy in the band. Doesn't matter. Be in a band with Freddie Prince Jr. It doesn't matter. I don't know why I said Freddie Prince Jr. But be in a band with a celebrity. <laughs> Matt Evans, also still the hottest guy in the band. Um, and you don't and like you can hang out and be the old guy who tells stories. That's what that was my role. 
Um, but it was, I had to draw that back. Like, I wanted to be part of the cool hangout club. I wanted to hang out at Edge Frat, you know? I wanted to, which was the straight edge house that all those guys lived in. But then I realized, oh, wait, they're all like 22 and they're complete disasters with everything in their life. And that's okay because they're 22. And that's when that's an acceptable range to still be disastering, which I'm still disastering now, just in a different way. Um, but yeah, I had to accept like, okay, there's a place for me with Matt and Dave and insert bass player here. <laughs> uh, and those are my <laughs> friends. Uh, Josh was there for a long time. Um, yeah, yeah. Not this Josh. You were there for a minute. Other Josh McDowell was there for I, I way played long. one song with y'all one time. Yeah, you did. And, and I uh, went Treasure on tour. Fest. And, and yeah, you, yeah. then you went on tour with us and lost all your money. I did. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, the, I had pictures of memories of that tour come up all the time. The How Dudes <laughs> Talk tour. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's not what's not wrong. It's just How Dudes Talk. Uh, it was wrong, ladies and gentlemen. It was very wrong. Um, no, but like, yeah, so I had to have that boundary of being like, okay, cool, yeah, I'm in this band, and we're doing some, we're making really good music, but I can't be part of this social world the way, the way the young, the still young inside part of me wants to like, you know, I want to, I want to go on the road trip to see the, the cool band that everybody's into that I can't fucking stand, uh, because they all want to go, and it looks like a lot of fun, but then like, you know, you just have to kind of figure out where you belong, and here I am, 47. Uh, I make podcasts for a living, and I, t I tell horror stories for a living. And I had to quit Just Die. We were bringing Just Die back in like 2018. Yeah. We we had gotten a new. Another Alex was playing bass. Alex from Drunken a Dumpster was playing bass for us. We'd written like three or four new songs. We were gonna do a seven inch, and then this show started making my living, and I couldn't scream and risk the voice because I'm an actor now. You know, I'm a writer and a voice actor, and I can't. You know, when you're in a hardcore band, if you're just a singer and you play all the time, you walk around sounding like this most of the time because even if you're taking care of your voice, fourth night of tour, you're on honey and cayenne pepper and hot water. And then after that, you're good because you get the calluses on your vocal cords. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, yeah. That's not a real thing. But, you know, you get kind of broken in. That's what and we I, tell ourselves. Yeah. That's what we tell ourselves as we <laughs> mutilate our bodies for yeah. the sake of screaming with 40 other people in the back of a record store. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was. You know, I I miss it, man. I miss it so much. I miss it. It is disgusting how much I've not been on. So we're getting ready to do these live shows with Old Gods of Appalachia, the podcast, and it will be after just I ended in 2013. I got into Poetry Slam really heavy, something I'd always done, but I got like competitive at the national level and did that. Then I ended up coaching Youth Poetry Slam, and we went to the International World Championships multiple times. And Asheville did remarkably well for a number of years. And um, all of it was kind of preparing me for the job I have now, I guess. But, like, I've not been on stage in three years. And then I was hosting The Moth for NPR's The Moth in Asheville. Mm -hmm. I guess NPR doesn't own them, but it's on NPR. But I was one of the hosts of The Moth. And then that community decided they wanted people to come back before vaccines. And a bunch of us said no, and we've not been back since. So, yeah, I know they're a nonprofit. they got to keep their doors open, but people still got to live. But uh, but I've not been on stage in three years. I'm terrified of these live. I'm excited too, but like I miss being in a band. But at the same time, I am out of shape. I am chunky. I am 47 with a gray beard and a full head of hair. Thank you, thank you, universe. Um, but I have seen, and no offense if you're that guy, Dave, if you're listening, um, I can't be the almost 50 year old guy with his glasses on and gray hair, screaming about his issues in a in a hardcore band anymore. I. That's just my my soul's not there, and it's not because I find it's I don't think it's pathetic or anything like that. It's just I can't be that guy because that's not I just I, I can't I, I just I have other um, my chair just creaked. I can't be that guy. I have other 
things I need to do that I think will fulfill me better than just being Papa hardcore. You know, I've been the oldest guy in the room for a long time, you know, and that gets old and frankly, it gets creepy and old heads that hang out in hardcore for too long, you know, soaking up, you know, using that fame for whatever they want to use it for. It gets, I don't ever want to be that dude to be perceived as that dude. So I miss hardcore. I miss being in a band. I miss making music so much. So, 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 so much. I do ambient stuff for the show. And like I said, we won a bunch of awards for that. And that was cool. That I'll take pride in, not just the set, the escape stuff. But uh, I miss having a mic in my hand and running around and sweating. And Yeah. You do know. you think like, um, so let's say if it kind of opens up to a sense where y'all are doing more live shows, do you see that that could kind of fill that place for you? Or I guess another way I can ask it is when you were doing like the Moth, and if you weren't performing in a band at the same time, do you feel like that kind of filled that role Absolutely. For you? That's the whole reason I did it. Yeah. It's the whole reason I did it. I'm an extrovert and I I when I say when I say this, don't don't take it in a gross way. I get off on entertaining people and yeah. making people but I also I also thrive, that's a better way of saying it. I also thrive on creating a safe space for people to do that. And that's what I prided myself on with the moth was I host I told and I competed sometimes because it was a competition, whatever. It wasn't really it was a good time. But when I hosted I made sure the crowd knew how to treat the tellers and we cultivated a community and everybody got a high five or a full elbow bump if they wanted physical contact at all. And I made sure that audience was there to, you know, that's that's the closest thing to being on stage and being like, when somebody falls down, you help them up. This is not gym class. <laughs> this is an exercise in unity. You know, that's the closest I had to that. But I loved that community. And it just kind of, it's still there. Another guy's hosted now. A good friend of mine's hosting it now. I've been meaning to go forever. But it's at the Gray Eagle now, which is a little claustrophobic for me. Uh, even with, and not, nobody requires masks for anything anymore. So like I'm, I've had COVID once and it was, it was, it was, it was wuss COVID. And I don't know if it's because I was on Paxlovid from the jump, but I vaguely felt like I had bad allergies for like three days. My wife had a shitty cough and then I've had friends that almost died and I've had friends that did die from it. So, yeah. You know, yeah. Just, when I, when I got it earlier this year, like, um, uh, I had kind of expected to be, I mean, I was fine, I, I, but I felt like I couldn't swallow for like four oh, days wow. straight and I would wake up like gasping and not like a long thing, but it was just like, yeah, just I, a could, swelling I could in your breathe. Throat. It was just like, you know, it's just like, I couldn't really, you know, yeah. it was hard to kind of eat for a few days and things. So it was, it was scary. And I, you know, and that wasn't even the worst of it, but I was like, Ooh, I don't want to do that. That again. Yeah, I just, I just got, I just uh, got literally this morning, middle of today. I finally, I think I got over the hump. I got my booster, my bivalent booster yesterday or day before, whatever. I don't, it's been, it's been, it's been over 24 hours and I feel better but dude, that thing's no joke. That's what I've heard. I haven't yeah, it, it, it what I've the first vaccine of the first two part, I felt like I was getting a cold, but then didn't. The thought, the second dose, I felt like I had the flu for a day. The the first booster, I was like, oh, this is nothing. And I was doing a Zoom thing and this big party, and I was actually having a beverage, you know, that I hadn't had in a long time. And then like, I'm like, okay, guys, good night. And I clicked off Zoom and I was walking to my living room. And the next thing I know, I'm on the couch just like under an afghan like just like shivering through like six hours of chills like it just like mugged me on my way to bed and this one i came home uh and i was soaking that's what i do i meditate in the tub and i soak and it's where people ask like where do you get your ideas from in the fucking bathtub all right that's where that's where they come and i also know i was just like oh no and it was just like this malaise fatigue and it was just kind of cruddy it wasn't super painful it wasn't like real headachey it was just it was annoying because i got shit to do 
that's that's the best you know it's not fun but but then again i've had two friends be like oh yeah my arm hurt a little bit mm. yeah 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 like what what i was thinking though whenever you started uh you know old gods uh so basically at work there was a time where i kind of i told some guy i was like hey you should check out this podcast because he he liked like horror stuff and i was like you should listen to old gods of appalachia and he was like he was like what you know that podcast and i was like yeah I was like, the guy's a good friend of mine. And he kind of looked at me like, come on. You know, kind of like he didn't believe. People think I'm a bigger deal than I am. It's so weird. And I was like, no, he really is a friend. I know. I feel like people throw that around. I was like, I've seen him eat a whole rotisserie chicken. Like, this is a guy I know. I, I, you know, we've seen each other in our worst. That's so true. (laughs) You've seen me eat a whole rotisserie chicken. (laughs) And I was like, but, but I got to say, you know, when I first heard, you know, old gods, I was like, is like the voice, you know, the yeah, voice yeah. kind of came up. And I was like, wait, is that Steve? <laughs> like, I was yeah, like, and you know, I, I was like, acting. I know that Steve, but you know, people, like, people are just like, if you look the first like three or four episodes, I hadn't found the narrator's voice yet. And I was still just kind of like, I want to do this super earnest and I'm going to relax into my accent because I'm from Southwest Virginia. I'm from coal country. This is what I sound like. I'm relaxing into it now. This is what I sound like when I talk to my family through my nose a little bit, it's a little bit faster. And I, but then. When Cam, who is my co-creator and my partner, my writing partner, the first time I had a script of hers, and I and, and the words were written, my words were written, but I could mess with my words. You know, I was thinking about, oh, what did I say? Ooh, did, you know, but I had somebody else's script, and just out of nowhere, that voice just dipped on down. And by episode five, I'd found the cadence, and the cadence is based on an old preacher who used to come. It's like a Xanax version of him. There was this preacher who used to come to our church and he would lay it down and talk about the Lord and hellfire. So I just dialed that down a little bit, put it on 33 instead of 45 family. And then just kind of, and then I started telling stories in that voice. And then I, I do, you know, I switch to other characters and, you know, I, I jump around. I do women's voices sometimes when, if we don't have actors on the show, I'm here to play everybody. And it's, it just, kind of happens that way so yeah so like um i hadn't heard this girl i dated like in 11th grade long distance writing letters to each other in the early 90s uh we'd connected on social media a few times over the years and you know i knew she was remarried had a grown grown ass man of a son and we hadn't talked in forever no bad blood we just you know life yeah takes you and i don't know where i get a message she's like i'm arguing with my husband right now whether your accent is real and I'm like, it's you just I'm like you've heard me. I'm like, you know, it's real. It's just I'm acting. I'm you know, like it's a thing you do in an audio drama. <laughs> you you know, you don't just I can you know I can I can just talk to you and I guess sound charming, but like the narrator's voice is his own thing. And we have a Patreon exclusive uh, called Steve Reads because people say I'd, li- I'd listen to Steve Shell read the phone book. So I pulled like kashi bars out of the cupboard i read amazon reviews for audio equipment uh i read the instruction manual for a cat harness we bought for our cat that didn't work uh i taught a lesson on sonnets that i taught to my ninth graders i read a chapter of of mice and men and i did all the voices for it i I read a chapter from john darniel's uh, wolf and white van which I left unidentified. I'm like, this language is crazy. That book is insane, by the way. If you've never read Wolf and White Van, it's so good. It's even if I don't know if I would have got to it if it hadn't been John that wrote it because I am like a Mountain Goat super fan. His books are actually legit good. The last one's weird. Devil House is good, but it's weird, and I'm not sure how I feel about the ending. But Wolf in White Van is just 
you just feel like you're kind of like, like somebody who with a lot of trauma's life is just laid out like trauma. You can't like mm -hmm. failed, failed suicide attempt is the whole thing. Like a guy, like the, the whole plot is without giving anything away. Cause you can't really, there's nothing really to spoil is this guy in the, I guess it's maybe in the eighties. Uh, he's a kid that grows up with D and D and Conan and stuff and a kind of a dysfunctional family life. And he, you find out that he's, his face has been reconstructed. He's, he's horribly maimed. And he has a nurse that takes care of him. Now he's an adult, and he runs a turn-by-mail role-playing game. Okay. And one of the plot points, it's not the main one, is a couple, a couple of kids playing the game try to play it for real and end up freezing to death. So the family sues him, a la Judas Priest. That's not the main, that's just that's a side story point. But it's just about this guy's life and his internal monologue and his internal world. And by the end of the book, you find out how and why he tries to uh, take his own life. And it's not anything you would expect or, you know, not anything obvious. It just comes. And it's, the language is so fucking beautiful. Um, yeah, it's, it's so good. Wolf and White Man, Universal Harvester is his other, is his other one, which starts out as a horror, a horror story about a guy working in a video store and he starts seeing clips of what looks like snuff films edited into movies that are being returned. So he starts trying to track them down. And then that story goes somewhere you do not see coming. And wow. it's really, really good. Uh, Devil House is about true crime. And it's, I would now, I tell people to do the audiobook rather than read it. Reading it is a weird thing. There's a whole chapter in this medieval font. And it's a mm. fantasy novel in the middle of the book for, <laughs> I get it. But like at the same time, like I, what the fuck? Um, but like it's, it's, I say if you want to do Devil House, it's th think of it as like almost like a, a concept album almost mm -hmm. like as a book because <laughs> it's yeah. just really, it's just about true crime and about the honesty behind it and the way it affects communities. But then there, again, there's a weird medieval fantasy novel in the middle of it. And then there's some self insertion that happens and it's just really, it's really strange. It's, it's, it's not as beautiful as the others. Wolf in white van was on the long list for national book award and it should have at least made short list, but it did not, but it's very, very, yeah. Good. Well, one other thing, I guess, like, what do you feel like, influence you to do old gods like what was the starting point with that who um i was burning out on poetry i was writing a lot of not just spoken word but i was also doing medieval poetry as another project too and i was burning out on the publishing world i was burning out on submitting and getting rejected we all do yeah. um and i didn't have i don't have mfa after my name so getting something published is its own struggle um so I had gotten into shows like Limetown and Life After and The Message, these little like 10 or 12 minute episode podcasts that weirdly GE Podcast Theater produced, like General Electric made it. <laughs> and they were really good. Uh, the, yeah, message, yeah. the Message and Life After are the same universe. Okay. Uh, and uh, also the same universe as Steal the Stars, written by the same guy, Mac Miller. Uh, I recommend all of them. They're sci-fi. They're they're crazy. They're really super good. And then Limetown was like serial gone X Files, and it was wow. really good. And season two is Limetown is is super good because it deals with like experimental thought technology and the government covering it up. And you you know it falls into a genre that I call "Oops, I podcasted my own spooky demise." Yeah. It's like I want to investigate this thing, so I'm going to make a podcast about it. And then you hear that first, like Blair Witch. It's like a Blair Witch. Yeah. Type thing. Video Palace. Excellent. Video Palace. You would love Video Palace. 
Josh, I'm going to tell you right now, Video Palace would be your shit. That's Shudder made it, the horror streaming service. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they didn't do a follow-up to it or anything. And, and the guy who made it, a friend, is, he follows us on Twitter, and he's super nice. And I'm like, make something else. Like, that was he just wonderful. hasn't? He hasn't? I yet? mean, I, I don't know if it was a gig. He was hired just to do that. Oh, okay. Because okay. that's the thing you don't you don't realize about podcasting, especially fiction in you, you'll have people like us and like uh, Terry Miles and Paul Bay from the Black Tapes, who the Black Tapes, first two seasons are amazing, third season I won't talk about in public. Um, but they are like the shoulders on which we stood. Limetown, Black Tapes, Welcome to Night Vale. Um, those dudes, uh, did their, it's a very different thing. They're kind of their own island of weirdness. Um, but um, I got into that, and that became what I was listening to because when I was stopped, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I don't know that you've ever stopped making music in your life. When I stopped getting to be in a band, listening to music was very hard. Yeah. It was painful, especially hardcore. Like, like Ruiners, Prepare to Be Let Down, and Hell is Empty, those were my go-to depression records, and I could not go to them because I wasn't doing that anymore. My friends and I, to end that. And, um, yeah, and, and music really, really hurt, and I had a hard time. When I, when I stopped being able to be in a band, like, music was hard. I didn't want to listen to it. Like my depression and anxiety got me to the point to where that was not for me anymore. And I especially couldn't listen to hardcore. I couldn't listen to punk. Um, and I was listening to these horror podcasts and these creepy, spooky stories and getting frustrated because some of them sounded like ass. And some of them like had clear narrative problems that were easily fixed. And some of them just, I could just tell they were in season four and they just weren't trying anymore. And some of them could have been, making a million dollars and didn't because they didn't bother to market themselves. Um, there's this podcast called small town horror and the guy who did it does another podcast called creepy, which is huge. I don't listen to it and I couldn't talk about it, but it's huge. Small town horror was him making kind of a, oops, I podcasted my own spooky demise thing about going back to his small town in Minnesota where he grew up to find out his father had been, had been sound recording everything in their house and piping sounds into his room while he was asleep. And he's trying, and his character is just kind of like this H. John Benjamin, like, you know, slacker dude, you know, kind of like, you know. And like, and the show blew up and it was compelling. And like, he sounded human. Like this guy sounded like he needed a shower. And like, he was completely blown away that a girl liked him. Like he just had kind of had this real dude vibe. And in season two, it became clearly evident he had no idea where the story was going. He had nothing planned. There was no execution. So the show vanished for like two years. And then out of nowhere, a season three dropped all at once. And it's an investigator looking for that guy's disappearance. And it was, yeah, it's kind of like, who cares? So I was listening. I'm just getting frustrated. I'm like, and I'm like, these people are leaving, not to be capitalist, but these people are leaving money on the table. They're making good stories, but with a little bit more effort. What if, what if, and I, I, I've said this in interviews before. I, I, I've stood in the hallway outside this little room and was saying, my, and I was doing the this medieval radio show for the medieval nerd reenactment stuff I do, the Society for Creative Anachronism. I was do I'm a, I do bard work there, storytelling, poetry, research, and stuff, and sing songs. So there are 20 chapters of this organization all over the world. They're called Kingdoms. And they all have different traditions. The organization has been around for 50 years. Some of the kingdoms are almost that old, you know. So I started reaching out using the internet, radical technology for old, old white people, yeah. and uh, and collecting these songs. And I hosted the show in persona as a kind of a medieval radio show host, you know. In my and 
I got a lot of accolades and a lot of awards inside the society for it. It was a lot of fun. But I was, and I started a Patreon and if, and I was doing it per creation. So I told people, you only get billed if I make something for you. And I was pulling in like three or $400 a month. And that was helping pay off the credit card. It got us by, we were both teachers. We were making jack money. You know, we weren't poor, but we were one good doctor's bill away from, yeah, being in trouble, you know? So like, I remember standing there and telling my wife, I'm like, I've got this idea for an Appalachian horror thing. I bet I could make about a thousand a month on it if I tried. And uh, and then I, I make more than, listeners. I make more than a thousand dollars a month on it. Uh, it's uh, we're number right now. We're number seven on Apple Podcast Fiction overall fiction. Number one in science fiction this week. Um, I think we've scored as high as number five on the overall fiction chart. Uh, I don't I don't, I don't even dare look to see if we ever chart like in the because there's the niche pod fiction podcast world where we're kind of a big deal. And then there's like the Joe Rogan like our lawyer thinks we're cute because we're like at. I think 12 million downloads, unique downloads in the history of the show. We average a half a million a month now, uh, or maybe maybe a little more, maybe almost three quarters, uh, almost 700,000 maybe. Um, and that's not being played in the middle of video games like this new scandal that just broke. Do you see this? A certain media company who I won't mention just in case they have any say, uh, was basically uh, inserting on like, on like phone games, listen to a minute, a minute of this podcast and we'll give you 300 gold for your game you're playing and then counting that as plays and using it for advertisers. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And now people are talking about class action lawsuits. Uh, uh, their, their name rhymes with I fart media and oh, they, wow. they used to be clear channel who ran censorship and ran mom and pop radio stations out of business and brought us, brought us Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity. And everybody conveniently forgets about that because they're unionized or whatever now, but they're still putting hate radio on the internet. Um, just under a different subsidiary of I heart, I fart media. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So that broke in Bloomberg today that they're basically treating their podcast like spam in order to, uh, in order to drive up their, um, their, their play counts. Uh, artificially inflate them, which is shady. So don't do business with that company. Um, but uh, yeah, so I wrote the first few episodes and I of the of first two or three episodes of Old Gods and I fiddled with them and tweaked them and I changed character names and I practiced voices and then I brought my, my now my co-creator and writing partner, Cam Collins, who's one half of Deep Nerd Media. Uh, I brought her in and I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do with these. Like, and I'm like, I don't know. What, and she's like, oh, and I'd ask her to write an episode. I'm like, yeah, I think I've got this story, this first story finished. I don't know what to do. And she, she realized there was a church described in the town. She's like, let me write about the church. And I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't think, I thought about the church. She like, somebody's got to bury the bodies. And I was like, oh, and then that brought the whole thing like into full, like burning wedding cake from hell reality of like, that's season one, you know, the, the church storyline, the, the mind disaster storyline and the witch queen all kind of wove together into, uh, into that first story. And she made it whole and she was just like, give me the files. Just give them to me. The best version you have, give them to me. And I did. She said, I've already signed you up for Apple, for Spotify, for everything. And if without her, those four episodes, three or four episodes might've still been like me sitting at a much smaller version of this desk, like playing with the treble and the <laughs> trying to get the mix just right or whatever, trying to get a fire sound effect to sound right. But yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, so it, what pushed me was the same thing, kind of. It's kind of the punk rock thing of like you see somebody, you, I could do that, and I might even be able to do it better, you know, or yeah. faster, or you know, or whatever. And you go and do it, and we had no idea. 
within the first before first four season one was over, we were at a thousand patrons on Patreon, and and we were it was it was it was insane. Like I said, the we almost sold ourselves to the company the company that owns the Walking Dead comics, and since then we've. You know, one of our voice actors is Yuri Lowenthal, the voice of Spider-Man, the voice of Sasuke from Naruto, the voice of every member of Justice League at some point in time, you know, and, uh, you know, we, it's just crazy. It's it's just, it's it's one of those things. People, and, and I have to say this because people like, oh, you're living your dream. I never fucking dreamed of being a podcaster. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I, I mean, I feel like I didn't, I, I don't know. If, when I saw that you were doing it and, you know, I saw that it was, even just like a podcast, you know, like I didn't know your numbers or anything or whatnot, but listen to it. And I was like, I was like so proud of you. And I'm, you oh, know, I'm not you. even just saying that to you. No, no, you're I right believe here, you. But, you and I go back. Like, man. I, I totally believe. But you. like, it was like, I knew that feeling, like the simple feeling of like, you know, when a band ends and then trying to, cause I feel like when I started playing in bands, I sang in bands. And then eventually I was like, I guess I'll learn how to play bass because I just can't, get things the way I want it to be, you know? And it's like, and even as this has progressed and the tiny amount of listeners that this thing has, it's, it's nice to know that I feel like I can kind of control something, you know, like it's like sometimes you go to band practice and maybe someone doesn't show up or someone's sick or you don't like write a new song or all of those things. But it's like, I know every week I could, you know, put out a new episode if I wanted to, you know, it's like, to kind of get that control back, that's yep. where I was like, I was like, good for you, Steve. And I know that sounds condescending. I've no, no, I, said I, I, I told what what you just said is is one hundred percent it. And and I and I and I'm, I I don't know if I've ever said this on anything I've we've talked about the show, but I'm going to do this now, and they'll never hear it on this show. So that's why I'm going to do it. When I was doing slam poetry, like at the national level, and we had set a goal of we were going to take Asheville had not sent a team to the national championships in twelve years. And myself and uh, Deverick Buto, who is now out in Philadelphia, and uh, and our friend Harper, and then an import ringer friend of ours from from New York, um, uh, Ramna, who we brought in, um, we went to, we qualified a team and went to nationals, and we were rehearsing, and um, I had a poem that I performed called Hounds, and it it was about it was about it was about talking about reckon, reckoning with white privilege as an Appalachian man. And the first line, leaning in, you know, for years I have worked to neutralize my accent because it makes me sound more intelligent if I don't have a drawl or a tweak or, you know, like if I can sound like my neutral Asheville teaching voice. You know, guys, this is what we're doing in class today rather than the way I actually sound. Uh, this piece, this poem started with talking to the white men in my family about privilege is like teaching history to hound dogs. Teaching them not to show their teeth when they recite their pedigree. Teaching them to bite the hand that's fed them all these years. And it was like in this dialect. And my my team was like, man, you, you should really lean on the on the whole like hick accent crutch more. Like you're really good at it. And I got, dude, I got like ready to swing mad. Like I don't get mad. I got like you mad when we made fun of Charlotte on tour mad. Like I was <laughs> like, uh, like you walking into Blackbird Pizza and Stephen Welsh being like, man, I'm glad you, but you're glad to be out of Charlotte, uh, man. Um, like I was like, and I, and I was so insulted, and now I make my living doing that voice all the time, yeah. and it's just like, oh um, uh, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's it's weird. But like I said, I don't, I never dreamed of being a podcaster, and this is another a hard thing. I don't know if you if you if you dealt with this. I always almost I realized I did it almost intentionally now that. 
I always made my art something that I could almost never count on commercially. Like Just Die was a great band. It would never make a million dollars. It was screamy DC style, like circle pit punk, like, you know, with a little anthemy bits to it. You know, like uh, I did, you know, I could, I could write and recite Norse poetry in four different meters in English, not in Icelandic um, or in old Norse, but like I could do that when I enjoyed it. I was really good at it. You know, and I could write like kind of this medieval fan fiction about gods who are barely mentioned in the Edda and like give them a backstory, but do it in the cadence and the whatever, the meter of the scansion, whatever you want to call it. Like I, I had my had my work box, which was where all my teacher bones lived, and I could autopilot teaching. Man, I was a good teacher. I was a great teacher at times. Good teacher most of the time. Great teacher at times. And but that was autopilot. But my arts bones, that was my weird little bands, my you know my slam poetry, like the stuff that I was never going to make money at. All of a sudden, those two boxes are the same box. And the internet, these three monitors I have in front of me here, one's one is literally just a calendar. And this is my recording console, and this is my script window. Um, um, this was my where I played World of Warcraft, where I played Diablo. It's where I chatted with people on Facebook, and you know, and you know, do all the things that we do on the internet. It was my my evening time social life, you know. And now it's my fucking job. <laughs> yeah. And it and twenty like first year of the pandemic, it got ugly because like there was I felt like there was never any recreation. So I wasn't playing games. Wasn't making music. I was making the show, which was fun and creative and artsy. But like, now I had people listening, and they had expectations, and I was in control of the narrative. And we we take great joy in being in control of the story because fans. We have a Discord server, and we have stuff, and people are like, oh, I think this is going to happen in these characters. And we're like, <laughs> and then we'll go kill those characters just for that reason. Like somebody somebody was like, we tell people we don't go into certain channels. We don't, we don't want to hear your fan theories because if we were to happen to write in that direction, we don't open any unsolicited fan fiction or any unsolicited scripts that gets automatically deleted and, a, and an email, you know, not even an email return. It's just on the contact form because we don't want to be, oh, they stole that idea from me, you know, whatever. But like people are just like, I, I think this has got to happen. This has got to happen. And I popped into the Discord channel one time. I'm like, I'm like actually, you... No, we don't do fan service. And uh, you may have just put some people in very real danger. Y'all have a good night now. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. I was like, I was like and we didn't kill those characters. They're actually really essential characters. And they were fine. The, the, that person wasn't right exactly. But uh, but yeah, but you're doing it to expectations and you're doing it for a living. And it, it starts to, that, that sense of control is still there. But man, it becomes, it becomes something else. Just because I did it for fun and I did it because I wanted to do something about back home and Cam and I always wanted to write together and we never did. And now it's agents and lawyers and coffee endorsements and fragrances that are themed after the show and a role-playing game with a major role-playing company that kickstarted out at an amount that I don't want to say out loud. I mean, yeah. like it just all of a sudden becomes something that's where, where how I, I didn't dare dream this. Because if I wanted this, I would have never had it. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, you know, but I have worked at it, and I and the hard work. It has been hard work, and we have been dedicated. It has paid off. We are blessed and highly favored by what. That's up to you. I don't care. Um, but it's just like, yeah, it's just one of those things. I never thought. I mean, like I I was 45 when this started. When this hit and started being bigger, I'm like, I never thought I I'd, I'd have to get to like late middle age to, you know, get to yeah. be a full time creative, but. Then again, I don't know what I would have done at 30. I don't know that I would have been mature enough to handle having a fandom 
weird. I love y'all family. If y'all out there listening as a fan, I really do appreciate you. Thank you for pledging on Patreon. Um, I have new content for you real soon. But um, yeah, man, it's just, it's, yeah. it, it, I, but I, I totally get it. Like nobody could not show up for band practice when it's just me and this Mike and garage band. Like, you know, <laughs> that's, that's as good as it gets. Yeah. 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 That's, it's just, all I'm saying is, you know, it just feels like authentic you, like every piece of it, you know, like, uh, and that's admirable because it's like, you know, to no discredit of yourself, but like you were saying, like, I feel like in other ways you didn't expect you almost put in your 10,000 hours with it, you know, like kind of you know, reading a sci-fi novel or a bunch of them. And then, you know, all of these things that you said you did for fun kind of go into, yeah, I mean, you know, it just feels like you. You go back to high school. I did forensics. I did interpretive speech and interpretive drawing, you know, like where you're the one person acting the multiple roles. Then I did slam poetry for a while when I was a kid. And then I was, I worked, my, 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 my BA is in mass communication. My internships were in radio and TV production, you know, so I learned to talk on a mic and I can still talk real fast and I can do the, you know, 1.5% financing, you know, <laughs> buy a fucking car, you know, whatever. I, like I, I, I was the afternoon drive guy for an adult contemporary radio station at one point in time, you know, like, so I had that experience. And then I, and then, in 2005, when podcasting became a thing that iTunes supported, I was posting on the In Strife message board, which was like a, a hardcore message board pre pre B9. It was kind of Christcore, kind of whatever, but it was very niche. It was a lot of West Virginia kids and a lot of Ohio kids. Um, and this guy was posting about like, podcasting could be kind of cool. What if we had our own hardcore radio stations? So I made one episode, and me and the guy, his name was Prophecy. I don't know his real name, but we figured out how to set up an RSS feed. And I made a radio show with all the inside jokes of the board, making fun of the one guy who was a kind of a troll and played like a Strife song. You know, like this is how what a podcast would sound like. If, if the Strife board had a podcast, this is what it would sound like. And, uh, and I thought that was neat. And I always wanted to do it again. And then I got better at poetry. I got better. I taught for 16 years so I can talk and explain shit. And I can never shut up sometimes. And then telling stories on the moth was the next step. And then... Um, listening to a ton of horror podcasts and realizing <laughs> I can do that. And even with just like, I remember thinking like, cause I realized garage band is free. And by the way, guys, my, my, our podcast, which all those 12 million, whatever recorded regularly, unless I have multiple, multiple actors and layers that need to go into logic pro, I can do everything in garage band. I mean, it's, I don't, what else to make sure you turn off normalizing and have, and have somebody who knows how to build your presets for you. If you're not good at that, and everything I do, uh, the all this, all the synths and stuff that I've won audio design awards for, customized, tweaked out things. I just, I tur I was a monkey turning knobs. That's my my refrain. I'd go into the Alchemy synth on GarageBand and customize the sound. Literally use the keyboard as my MIDI keyboard and and just hit patterns and shifts and things, and then loop that, and then maybe invert it, maybe come up with a second melody line that sort of, and then use automation to make that drift in and out. And automation, being able to do automation, volume automation and reverb automation and that kind of stuff in GarageBand. My engineer, who is versed in logic up the yin-yang, he'll come in and have to open GarageBand. He can open GarageBand stuff in logic, but if he's trying to make something for me, he'll come in and he'll be like, you can do almost everything. It's just harder to find. And you can't <laughs> do as many things at once. So they definitely want you to buy logic. He's like, but you could automate, like you can go into automation and make, you know, make your volume. Yeah. And I, I'm like, I do that all the time. That's how like the fire came through, you know, it's not me sitting there with a spader, you know, like you just drag the little line and make it, you know, do whatever. But like, uh, yeah, we make a, we make one of the most successful audio fiction podcasts 
currently on the charts in GarageBand. And uh, yeah. Welcome to Nightmare was produced in Audacity for years. Yeah. Like Which with is a Yeti even Blue. Harder. Yeah. 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 Really. With a Yeti Blue and uh, an Audacity. And yeah. that's how Welcome to, in Joseph Fink's apartment in New York. That's how Night Vale was for. I know Cecil from Welcome to Night Vale lives here in North Carolina now. And I know he records his vocal tracks at home. But the rest of the show, I think, is still produced wherever that, that dude lives. And. I don't know. He also did I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats, which is uh, the first season of that is great. Second season is painful. But they got into a recording studio and did some stuff. And I wondered if that would change his perspective because he sounded like the kind of guy who had not spent a lot of time in a recording studio at all. And I don't know if he just really heard the difference in making something in a studio because the next season seemed to be a lot more in a studio and less on a Zoom recorder in John Darniel's basement. You know, like, which that has, those things are great too, by the way. If you haven't Mess with one of those for mobile stuff. I have a couple, uh, an uh, HN5 and a Zoom HN5 and something else. Those are, those are the XY mics on those are fantastic. Like you can easily pull off a live edition. Like if you're out at a show somewhere interviewing somebody, just pointing like you would a mic, and it sounds great. I mean, mm. it's not pristine, but like it's, it, it'll sound way better than you expect it to. Those things make me yeah, yeah. happy. Yeah, and I guess if we have to like loop it back around, while well, you know, so we can kind of land this thing. Do you feel like listening to Strike Anywhere, did it influence anything about like even like where you are now as a podcaster or like where you went as, I guess even there since we spent so much time talking about that, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. All the ethics, all the stuff that's behind that's in this record. I mean, like you, you, you can't, um, oh gosh, like, um, hang on. The lyrics to Refusal, that's the song that everybody, uh, uh, this song used to completely wreck, uh, because the sister, I won't let you go, I won't let them take you into the silence of a past divided, and I took this next part always very personally as an English teacher, brother, keep teaching the power, we only move together away from the past that made us fall apart. And uh, and systems of profit we punish with love as their weapon and unity, unity, rebirth and fire. That is, I mean, like the heart of our show is talking about organized labor and talking about unions and talking about the power of the people to stand against the darkness of industry. And, you know, that's like, I mean, Appalachia, awful and hideous as parts of it are and as backwards and racist socially as so much of it is right now. And I say that out loud as somebody who makes good money on a show called All Gods of Appalachia, who is, who is from, in my opinion, the heart of Appalachia, the Cumberland, the Cumberland Mountains, Kentucky, Virginia border. Appalachia can be an ugly, horrifying place. It's also a beautiful place full of darkness and mystery and wonder and good-hearted people who mean well. But, like, the, the song Refusal, like, is just every... When you're, you know, Cam and I, my, my partner in the show, we, we, were, we, we, we dated when we were in early college um, because... And we're so much, we've been friends for 20 some years beyond that. Um, because we were the only two people, only two punk rock kids in this town of 2,000 people. So we clung to each other like a fucking sinking lifeboat, even when we were both really like ready to get the hell out of there. We just, we just, we just stuck to it. But like, it's, it's, you know, the, the, the entire message that's behind uh, changes of sound is just like, no matter where you are, no matter what this is, you, you fight for what's right, you talk about what's right, you speak out against what's wrong and you pull everybody with you that you can. And whether, and if you're leaving, you take them with you. If you're building where you stand, you bring them inside the wall, you know, like it's, it's just that unity, rebirth and fire. 
That is, that's, that's the most generic hardcore thing I say as I clench my fist and pump it upwards. <laughs> uh, uh, pale white fist reflected against a paler white sea of other white fists. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, that's the spirit of old gods. That's the spirit of the art I make now. It's just pretty much like you can be the voice in the wilderness. You can be the one person who thinks, am I the only sane person in this pit of a place, you know, this beautiful historical, you know, place that is my home, my heritage, my jailer, my tormentor, my mother and my father and all these stuff together. Yeah, that's that's everything that's in changes of sound. That's and music like that is what kept me alive until I got out of there and got to Asheville, which is also far from perfect. That's a whole other episode of anything. Uh but yeah, no, I I would say strike anywhere uh and changes of sound is very much in the heart of what I do still. Welcome back. Thanks again to Steve for coming on the pod. Please check out Old Gods of Appalachia and also his old band Just Die. Great stuff all around. Okay, next week we're talking with Kate Meisner of the band Jobber. We talked about Rancid's 1995 album and Out Come the Wolves. So more on that next week. Once again, don't forget to check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. My co-host Sarah and I, we listen to records we liked a lot when we were younger and revisit them as much older and jaded individuals. You can subscribe for as little as $1 a month and you'll get an exclusive episode every week. So check that out. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at SpinningOutPod. And please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave a comment and reviews help. So do that wherever you listen to us. Thanks as always to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. Okay. See you next week.